Lit Chat listeners, this is PJ. And this is Bonnie. And we are bringing you another episode of Lit Chat. Today we'll be talking about what we read because it was reader's choice. I think I'm going to go first because I didn't get to read a lot. I finished the book that I had previously talked about. Um, but okay. since I previously talked about that, there's no need to go back Which into one that. Was that. It was the one about all the things that your history teacher taught oh, you wrong. That one. So the other one that I read is Anatomy, a Love Story. It is a YA book, and it is written by Dana Schwartz. The reason I decided to pick up this book is because I listened to her podcast, Noble Blood. Obviously, she was announcing it there. And I really like her podcast. It deals with a lot of, obviously, historical figures and people of nobility. So I thought I would just pick this up. Also, I've been noticing that it's been coming in and going So it it seems to be very popular. So I was interested in it. And you know what? I'm really happy I did. I really liked it. It's a little macabre and gothic. But I mean, that's not something that I'm not just what teenagers want. Well, and I'm not really into (laughs) scary movies or uh, gross stuff. And, And this one, it's gross because of the topic that they talk about. But it's it's grave robbing, basically. It's okay. great, Robin. It's a mix of a love story meets great Robin meets kind of Frankenstein. So uh, <laughs> sounds right up a young person's alley. <laughs> it was great. I really liked it. So it's the story of Hazel Sinnott, who's 17 years old. She's living in Scotland in the 1800s, and she is set to marry her cousin Bernard, who's going to eventually be the future Viscount Almont. However, Hazel is not your regular girl. She wants to be a physician. She wants to be a doctor. And she knows that if she marries and being of society and just being a woman, that she's not really going to be able to become a doctor. So she ends up learning about anatomy and medicine Kind of in a very sneaky way. Hazel has two uh, brothers. One of them died with what is called the Roman fever. And I guess he was the apple of her mother's eye. So when he died, it really did a number on the mother. And so she is now focused on Percy, the younger brother, making sure that he doesn't die which means that all her focus goes on Percy and not so much on Hazel, which is why Hazel can sneak around and do the stuff that she's doing, which is experimenting. She's reading her dad's books. Her dad is also, um, oh, he's in the military guarding Napoleon in Waterloo. Okay. So he's not there, which makes it just easier for her to hide stuff and do things without her parents noticing her. And so she decides that she wants to be a doctor. She disguises herself using her older brother's clothes, but she doesn't name herself after her older brother because obviously he's dead and people would have caught on to that. To try to go to these classes that are taught by the famous um, grandson of Dr. Beecham. Okay. Dr. Beecham is this world-renowned physician who wrote all these treaties and... Treatises. Treatises, thank you. And came up with all these discoveries, surgical discoveries. Um, He has now passed away, 
but his grandson has now taken up the mantle. So she decides to go to these classes, dressed as a man. She soon finds, um, gets discovered. She strikes up a deal with um, Dr. Beecham that if she can study on her own and pass the physician's exam, she will be able to be a doctor and he will personally take her under his wing. Okay. But she knows that to do this is somewhat difficult because by this time, people are dissecting bodies to figure out how the systems works and to learn more. And so she knows that she's going to have an uphill battle if she can't find bodies to dissect. So hence the grave robbing. Hence the grave robbing. (laughs) And this is where Jack Courier comes in. He's a grave robber. I can't remember the backstory of Jack, but basically, you know, he's, he's just a kid on the street. He meets up with a bunch of other kids who are on the street. They're just trying to make a living. And the best way that they can make a living is by robbing graves. And supplying cadavers and body parts. Yeah, uh, which, the, which the doctors are more than willing to pay for. Now, the interesting stuff is, and this is actually true. So when it came to grave robbing, you would only really get in trouble if you stole any property from the body. So what they would do is they would rob a grave, they would unclothe it, take out all the property, and steal the body. Basically leave everything else there. Yeah, and that, like, you'd get caught, you'd get sent maybe one or two days to, like, prison, but you wouldn't get such a bad punishment. Only if you took somebody's, like, Property. So um, <laughs> they didn't consider the body their property. <laughs> That's no, unusual. No. Uh, um, that is just okay. So he ends up meeting Hazel, and through Jack, she is able to procure some bodies. Oh, and she specifically wants the Roman, like bodies that are, have the Roman fever because her whole thing is she wants to find a cure for Roman fever. So he supplies the bodies except for one day where he can't supply them anymore because his gray robber mate, Monroe, has gone missing. And so she decides that she's going to go and help him rob the grave. But while this is happening, grave robbers are ending up missing. Poor people are ending up dying and so there's just a mysterious, there's a lot of mysterious disappearances. Bing. And it so happens that later in the book, we find Monroe, who goes missing, comes back. And he comes back with a arm missing. And he can't quite explain how he missed that arm, but he tells Jack and Hazel this dream-like sequence Um, So come to find out, there is something very, very sinister going on. At the same time, Beecham is also performing these very miraculous surgeries. For example, one of the surgeries that he does is he is able to put a new eye into a person, an older person who is not able to see, and he is able to give him an eye, a seeing eye. That is all I'm going to basically say about this because there's a lot of stuff that I. The more I talk I can about guess this, some of it. 
the more I will give it away. I think I can guess some of it, but I won't guess. It is. I just really liked it. I really liked it. Of course, I liked Hazel. She is... She's willing to go out and get what she wants. Yes, she is. No matter what she has to do to get it. And the great thing about Hazel is that she is an aristocrat, but at one point she starts taking in these poor patients that don't have the money to go to good doctors. She starts taking care of them. She starts taking in care of people who have the Roman fever. And she can because she had the Roman fever with her brother. It just so happened that her brother died and she survived. So So she's she's got the immunities. Which is why she decides that she's going to go and do this. Basically, the mom ends up leaving with her younger son, Percy, to London. And she fakes being sick so she could stay in Scotland to do more research and stuff. And while she's there, she decides she's going to open her house to patients. And a lot of these patients are poor people that can't pay, but they don't want to go to the other option, which is a hospital for poor people because they don't get treated well. They're not cared for. Most of them just end up dead. Exactly. So, you know, this is the other alternative. I just, I love that she clearly has her mindset on being a doctor and nothing's going to stop her. So where is Bernard in all of this? Well, Bernard is her cousin who wants to marry her. And so he's, you Is know. he just turning a blind eye to everything? Or is he involved? Or is he just there? Is he just a character on the sidelines? Bernard has always known that Hazel wants to be a doctor. But now that things are getting serious, he's just hoping that she's going to forget about it. And she's not willing to forget about it. So there's tension there. There's also a love triangle because so um, Jack. Yes, you guessed it. You can guess. Jack. Um, okay. He he's there. Let me tell you though, Bernard is not to be liked. He does something that is so upsetting. Okay. Um, One of those. But sometimes the YA books can be really, really good because I read a whole series of YA books about a year ago. And they are just as good as the adult ones, Uh, sometimes better, because... I really, really enjoyed this book. I will end it with this. Part of the reason that I love this book, I mean, obviously, it has all the elements that I like. Strong female characters, history, it was interesting, it left you with, like, surprises, is... That it also reminded me of a book that I loved growing up, Tuck Everlasting. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> That's okay. going to end very quickly, but sorry. I've seen that book, Tuck Everlasting, and I've been thinking about picking it up. I just might. Go but. for it. All right, so that's me. How about you, Bonnie? Well, I read a lot of stuff, not necessarily just this past month. You know, it's stuff that I've been reading all along, and I'll tell you about some of it. I did read a book by Sandra Brown called The Blind Tiger. Normally people think of her as more of a kind of a romance suspense writer. And she does have the romance element in it. But this one kind of really touches more on history and what was going on in this particular time period. And this is in the early 1920s during Prohibition. And Laurel is this uh, woman. She has just had a baby. Her husband is just back from the war. This is right at the end of World War I. Okay. 
and he is having issues. He he's obviously got PTSD. At the very beginning of the book, he just comes in one day and says, pack the bags, we're moving to Texas to where my father lives. And this is the first time he has ever mentioned his father. And where is, I'm sorry, but where is she originally from? Where are they living originally? Chicago, I think it was. Some big city. I mean, it was a big city. That's a big difference right there. Yeah, I think it was Chicago. Don't hold me to that. Derby takes Laurel and the brand new baby. And this is like in the dead of winter. And he packs them in their car, which not the greatest thing in the world, and heads to Texas. I think it's a little place right outside of Fort Worth. They don't really use a name. (laughs) Okay. It's just just this railroad stop on the side of the road. They eventually get to his father's house after a very prolonged journey through the cold and the snow and... She's just trying to keep the baby warm through this whole thing. I mean, the baby is like less than a month old. Yeah, I don't have children, but that sounds like a really bad idea. They get to his father's house and they pull up to this shack that she can see lights coming through all the cracks in the walls. Oh, no. It's just this little shack out in the middle of literally nowhere. There's no town to be seen. There is nothing to be seen. They come in and the father is just obviously thunderstruck because obviously he wasn't informed they were coming. But he welcomes them as best he can. This is Irv. And Irv, he just, okay, fine. Um, It's just this little one room shack, but... You know, I'll throw a curtain up over here for me to sleep behind and you guys can have my my little bed for what it's worth. And Derby takes Laurel outside to show her where the outhouse is. Promptly sticks a gun in his mouth and shoots himself. Oh. This is where the story starts. So Laurel is now with a brand new baby, with a father-in-law she's never met. He's with a daughter-in-law and a granddaughter he's never met. So this was planned. Derby planned it. Yeah, I was going to say, but this had to obviously, be... Obviously, Derby had something going on in his head, and he just decided, I'll take her down here so somebody Someone there can to take, take care, care of her. her. Yeah, okay. But it turns out that Irv is a moonshiner. Ooh. I mean, he, he runs around, and he does do odd jobs for people. He's, he's like a mechanic, and he does odd jobs. Mm-hmm. But he also sells the moonshine while he's doing his odd jobs. He okay. has a special place in his truck that he hides the moonshine well laurel has no idea where he's getting his money from until one day she does find out and she decides well let's just make this a big family business i'm sorry is it like a ruse like does he have a lot of money and he's just no no he doesn't have a lot of money but he he gets by with moonshine sales i just thought maybe he had like a lot of money but he had to be covert about it and like live in no but it's Pretty much everybody in this whole town is into moonshine in some way, shape, or form. The mayor is into it. The police chief buys it, so he kind of turns a blind eye if nobody's doing anything really bad, unless the federal agents come in, and then he has to act like a a law enforcement officer, and they break up the stills, you know. But then these people usually know people are coming to their still. They're usually not surprised by these raids. No, I and imagine if the town likes 
and they're going to so protect the moonshiner. They usually kind of get the inkling that something's going on, the shiners, and so they'll not be at that still or something. And so a lot of them don't get caught. Mm-hmm. But the stills will get messed up. Well, the next night they just go find someplace else and build a new still. <laughs> but Laurel decides, okay, he's into moonshine. We need the moonshine to make money, but we're going to do this semi-legitimately. She goes to all these businesses that Irv is selling moonshine to on the sly and says, guess what? You're going to buy my pies. I'm going to bake pies and you're going to buy my pies. (laughs) With the pie delivery, they get their moonshine delivery. I was going to say, there has to be something to these pies. No, there's nothing in the pies other than that they're really, really good pies. I mean, apparently she's a very good baker. Yes, But, but with the pies comes the moonshine. Right. And so it's all set up and everything. Well, the mayor is really into bootlegging whiskey and stuff, not just moonshine. He like bootlegs other types of stuff. And he can't figure out who is sliding in to his business, who is taking away part of his business. Because do they just do moonshine or are they also venturing into other? No, they just do moonshine. Oh, okay. But there are different levels of moonshine. There's really good moonshine. There's really bad moonshine. And apparently her father-in-law makes really good moonshine. And people know it. But then you have Thatcher, who has shown up on the scene. He's an ex-war person, too. And he's just trying to get home, which is up in North Texas. And he doesn't have any money. So he ends up hopping a freight train and gets involved with these guys on this freight train. And he jumps off near this little town and ends up walking. The next morning, he comes upon Laurel hanging the laundry and just asks for a cup of water and, you know, is there a town close by? They (laughs) do end up romancing, but not right away. She's got her business going and she ain't going to let anybody get in the way of the business. Well, of course, because she's got a kid to raise. Yeah. So one thing leads to another, and it's it's all about greed and corruption and rape and prostitution and the 18th Amendment, that prohibition was the 18th Amendment, and it was the only amendment that was ever repealed by the 21st Amendment. And basically what it was is the, the 18th Amendment put it all on the federal government to stop the production, the transport, the sale, and everything of the alcohol. Well, finally, the federal government says, we don't want to do this anymore. And that's why the 21st Amendment came along. And the 21st Amendment put it back on the states to control it. Well, because the thing is, like, people want what they want, right? And obviously, they wanted their moonshine, they wanted their alcohol. So they weren't going to go and help the government. They were going to keep it on the down low and go against the government. So I could see why, you know, the feds were like, oh, this is just so problematic. We don't have time for this. Right. And give them back their alcohol. Yeah. Well, also, on that note, you're saying it's the 1920s. You've got these big time gangsters like Dillinger and Al Capone who are also profiting from the fact. So the federal government, like FBI agents, they don't have time for like 
to regulate these like moonshiners when they've got out big in the middle gangsters. of nowhere. Yeah. Yes. This was so it was it was an interesting book. Just the way that whole time period and how people reacted and how people the the law enforcement just kind of turned a blind eye. It was kind of interesting on that level, but I I love most of her books anyway. Which is funny because, you know, for my book, Anatomy, it's also the police just turns a blind eye to the fact that people are robbing graves. I also read another one of Deanna Rayburn's latest ones with my Lepidopterous heroine, Uh, my butterfly heroine, Veronica Speedwell. This one's called The Impossible Imposter. And in this one... I've talked that Stoker was kind of like get close to asking her to marry him and stuff. And she kind of like kiboshes it every time before he can say the words. Well, I didn't know that. I mean, I know they were getting close, but you didn't tell me they were getting close to marriage. Well, Stoker is. Stoker uh-huh. really wants to commit. You get this feeling. He wants to commit. And every time it gets to a point where you think he's going to ask, she does something because she can tell he's going to ask. And no, 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 no. Well, okay, so she's okay. Turns out we find out that she was married. Uh, bum, bum, bum. This book is called The Impossible Imposter, and supposedly her husband and a friend were killed in a volcano on this little island in the South Pacific one time when they were butterfly hunting. Now, the police commissioner, his family is like, you know, aristocrats. It turns out that Jonathan, who was supposed to have died in the volcano, shows up. This was the friend, not her supposed husband. I almost feel like I know where this is going. So he asks Veronica and Stoker to go down and just make sure that this guy is really kind of who he says he is. Mm -hmm. If they can kind of help figure it out. And Veronica walks in the room and she knows who he is, but it is Jonathan. It's her husband. It's her husband. And it turns out that he is doing what he's always done, which is trying to get into good graces from people and steal things. And he is trying to find and steal this family heirloom. And Veronica has to dig deep and find out who she's going to protect, how much of her story she wants out. One thing leads to another, and I'm not going to tell you how it ends because that would just totally give it away. It gets very convoluted, and we do find out some interesting things about their marriage. We're just going to have to read it. Yep, that one we're going to have to read. And then there's um, Janet Ivanovich. You know, she's the one that writes the Stephanie Plum series that takes place in New Jersey. The one for the money, too, for the dough. You know, that whole series with numbers, and she is starting a new series. Oh, you look very excited about this. It is called The Recovery Agent. The first book is called The Recovery Agent. And apparently the heroine in this book, Gabriella Rose, appeared in one of the Stephanie Plum novels at some point. And I kind of remember the name, but it was was just a brief mention. Yeah, just a brief mention. But Gabriella Rose is kind of like a modern day female Indiana Jones. Nice. And she has this whole business where people contact her, like mostly insurance companies, to recover stolen property. But occasionally you'll get the person that says, hey, I heard that there's this lost city in the Amazon and there's this treasure and I want you to go find it. And that's kind of where this book is. Cool. 
Well, actually, what happens is her the town that she grew up in is like it got hit really hard by a hurricane and the town is dying. And her supposedly she is a descendant of Blackbeard. <laughs> and there is some letters or some correspondence or something that says that he knew of this treasure that was buried by these pirates in South America. And if they can find this treasure, they can save the town. So her mother and her grandmother, which is the same kind of, you get the same vibe from them that you get from Stephanie Plum's parents. You know, the mother who is just, I can't believe my daughter is doing this. (laughs) And the grandmother who is just like all in, hey, go for it, honey. (laughs) And, And encourages, you know, this behavior. And so she doesn't want to do it, but she's like, okay, fine. I'll give it a try. And if it doesn't go anywhere, fine. It doesn't go anywhere. If I don't find the treasure, we'll figure out some other way to save the town. How do you not want to do it? Right? (laughs) As she's going along making her plans. Now, she was divorced. And her ex was kind of like a surfer dude who's living in down in the Caribbean islands now. Perfect place to find pirate stuff. But something, I, I forget exactly how he gets involved, but all of a sudden now, Rafer is her partner because he's from the town too. Okay. And he's shown up for a unexpected visit while she's there and they kind of reconnect a little bit. She doesn't want to have anything to do with him. And he's just like, hey, Gabs, you know. we're in this together and so they end up in the jungles of south america going up against this dude called supai the high priest el dragon supai is the the incan incan or mayan or aztec i forget which one it is god probably inca uh of the underworld and el dragon is his human a person who is up trying to find this treasure as well. Well, a dragon is translated to dragon. Yeah. The dragon. He's the high priest of Supai. Uh. And so we get this whole, you know, uh, superstition thing going on. And the, well, it that's, does sound like Indiana Jones. That's yeah. Cool. It's, it's, and it, it just, one thing leads to another. And with Janet Ivanovich, you can just, you can just hear the characters and how Gabriella and Rafer are constantly bickering and fighting. <laughs> nice. And they, they get caught by Elder Grun and they're still doing it right in front of him. Like, you know, you know, it was all your fault this guy caught us. No, it wasn't. It was your fault. You know? it was, it's just, it's another one of those really funny books that does have a little suspense and action and stuff in it, just like her other books are. And they're hilarious. That's they're great. funny. I, I'm looking forward to the series going on. What is the series called? I assume it's just going to be called the Recovery Agent series. I mean, they didn't really have a series title for it. This is the first book, and it's called The Recovery Agent. So I'm guessing that's kind of the series title she'll use for it. Makes sense. uh, But then I started to read another one that was on our list of books. It was called The Lost Book of Adana Moreau by Michael Zapata. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I got I got about a third of the way through it and gave up. It was just too out there. It, <laughs> I'm sorry. Supposedly, Adana Moreau was an author in the 1930s. 
in Mexico, and she wrote a science fiction book. It had big acclaim in Mexico. And then at some point, she moves to New Orleans. Um, she's married to a guy who proclaims to be a pirate. And they have a son. And the son is just allowed to roam wherever he wants to, whenever he wants to. When he was four years old, she went looking for him because he just walks out of the house and finds him down the street in the neighbor's yard with kind of a pit bull dog sitting next to this pit bull dog. So she's just an absent mother. But she wrote this sci-fi book that was basically she used all the ideas that she had tried to use to scare her son into staying home. All these creatures and dinosaur type figures, creatures and things that she kind of made up and flying monsters to kind of scare her son into staying home and it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But then at some point she takes all of these characters and puts them in this lost city in this book, this sci-fi book and makes a fortune. Well, it doesn't make a fortune, but she makes a pretty good amount of money with it. Then before she can finish the second book, she dies. And this is the point where you find out her name up until this point, they haven't even mentioned her name in this book. And I'm just like, well, that's kind of weird. But now her son comes along and he's now a teenager and he just takes off one day and goes across the country hopping freight trains. She was Mexican. I believe her husband was black. So their son is biracial, Mm -hmm. but apparently he looks black because at some point when he's on this train, the other teenagers riding the train tell him, don't go to that town. Because even though you say you're not a Negro, you look like one. Mm -hmm. So don't go there. And fortunately, he listens to them. But at some point down the line, he ends up becoming an astrophysicist. And his whole point of becoming an astrophysicist is to prove that his mother's books were not fiction, that they were fact. And I gave up at that point. I just... I'm sorry, this is just too out there. Now, somebody else might like it. Somebody else might think it's the greatest book under the sun, but I could. I feel like get maybe there's just too much going on in that story. Yeah, there's um, I haven't way read out it, there. But from just what you're telling me, it might be... It needed to be two different stories or something. Sometimes, you know, authors can be very ambitious and, and it just doesn't... I think well. this is his first book. I think this is Zapata's first book. I mean, maybe so, that's the thing. Maybe, maybe he, he was, was trying, trying to be very ambitious about it and just put too much in there. But yeah, it just it got way too much for me. So till we meet again, this is PJ. And this is Bonnie. Bye guys. 